0: Uh, thank you, Richie. <laughs> thank you, team. Got you. Right back at you. <laughs> uh, morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, lovely to see you all here. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, Donnie, you didn't talk about youth camp. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dan. Just, just want to put it out there. We're, we're doing youth camp this weekend. It's going to be exciting. Uh, really looking forward to that. And I um, just want to thank you to all the people who were part of the trivia night, who's just given random money randomly, thank you, those random people, because it means that, yeah, we'll be able to, we've subsidized it for the parents, and also we have to do some fun activities. Um, It'll be great, so really looking forward to that. Um, So today we're talking about more prayer, because we talked about prayer last week, and we're going to talk about prayer again uh, this week. This is interceding prayer, because that's what it says on the screen there, so hopefully you can follow along uh, fairly well. Uh, There's a phrase which, you know, gets thrown around a fair bit, and it goes like this, Desperate times call for desperate measures. Oh yes, Faye knows it. Very good. She repeated it with me. Um, and this is actually a very old phrase because they reckon the first people to use that was actually Hippocrates, who was actually a, a Greek physician back in the first century BC or something like that. Uh, anyway, so, uh, and I want to talk about that phrase this morning because it sums up well the Bible passage we're going to look at. Because... Um, The Bible passage we're going to look at has a desperate time in it, you know what I mean? And it called for a desperate measure. Uh, The Bible passage we're going to talk about this morning has a jailbreak in it. Uh, Someone, you know, was getting busted out of the slammer. You know, it was an escape, a breakout, a getaway, a flight into the night. Uh, Isn't that exciting? Um, Now, luckily, I haven't had the personal experience of having to be broken out of jail before, Um, so that's good. Um, But if I did need to break out, I think I'd be able to do a pretty good job of it because, you know, I've seen movies and TV shows and there's some really good strategies for getting um, out of jail. Uh, The first thing you need to do is to be, you know, to be dedicated. You know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So you have to be prepared to go the extra mile and to be desperate to give your all. And, and, And once you've done that, there's a couple of strategies you can use to get out of jail. Uh, the first one is, is this one. So you've got to get, uh, you know, organize a group of, you know, about 200 or so inmates to be part of a, you know, a group, and uh, you could, you know, build three 100-meter tunnels underground, um, h- held up with timber from the beds that you sleep in, and then you can you can dispose of all the extra soil you dig up from building all those tunnels out in the gardens when you're digging during the day. Um, you could build a railway system in these tunnels to ferry people um, in and out of them, and, and you can whistle a, a, a tune while you're working. You guys know this movie, don't you? It's a really old movie. Anyway, so, uh, so who likes this type of breakout? Was that the sort of breakout that you would do? Sure, why not? Excellent. OK. Or you know you could have another option. You could use a geologist's hammer, a really small thing to dig through the wall of your cell you know over a period of many years and then you could wait for a storm to come so you could crack a hole in the sewage pipe and you could crawl through a sewage pipe for like a long long way to get to freedom um yeah you like that kind of breakout is that what you would do you'd crawl through the sewage not so much you have to be really desperate to do that i think um or you could you know want to get your brother out of jail um so next one please yep um so, you get the whole map of the jail, you could tattoo that on your back, and then you could get yourself arrested, so you get thrown in jail with your brother, and and then you would, um, you know, you get out of jail with your brother, because that's what you're trying to do the whole time, and then because this show needed more seasons, you could get arrested again and get thrown back into a different jail, and then you would, you know, try to have to break out of that jail, and then Sarah's only up to season four, so I'm not sure what happens next, whether they, like, get thrown back into another jail again, because there's a lot of seasons about breaking out of... Anyway, you get the picture. Um, you'd have to be desperate to get your tat, but you're back tattooed with the jail, schematic, to get you out of jail. So they're well and good and fun, right? Um, and we could talk about more of them this morning, because Hollywood loves making movies about breaking out of jail. I'm not sure what that says. But um, uh, we're going to read about a, a breakout in the Bible. And um, in here... In the desperation of the church, they didn't resort to tunneling, they weren't crawling through a sewer, they didn't get their, tat, their back tattooed, they turned to God. So, when you turn up Acts 12 with me, and we'll, uh, we'll check that out together, um, this is Acts 12 starting from verse 1. Um, and it'll be up on the screen there as well. So, Acts 12, verse 1. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them. He had James, the son, sorry, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed through the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the door at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, She was overjoyed, so she ran back without opening it and said, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting this was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place wow, hey, what an epic story. I think they should make a movie out of this one as well. Uh, there are some pretty cool reflections here that can teach us about prayer. I mean, last year, we, last, year last week, we talked about praying prayer that gets results. And uh, we're reminded that, of that prayer um, that, Jesus, uh, that uh, Jesus said in that um, parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is a prayer that God will answer every single time in the affirmative. And we should all be always be praying that prayer every day. But it's not the only prayer that we should pray. And here in Acts 12, we have a beautiful blueprint for intercessory prayer. That means how we pray for others. So, you know, let's look at the story here. Jesus had come. You know, he, he lived, he died, he rose again. He sent the Holy Spirit to the church. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, the church was growing a whole bunch. And... How does that make the authorities feel? How does that make Herod feel? Uh, Very uncomfortable. So the church is persecuted by Herod and by uh, the Jewish people who don't like it. Uh, James, the brother of John, he's executed. And Peter, he's next in line. He's next on the chopping block. He's on death row in prison. And it says here in verse 4 that after Passover, Herod would bring Peter to trial and he'd find him guilty. And have him executed, just like he had done with many others. That was the plan. But then we come across this verse, in verse 5, and it says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I love this bit because we just read, you know, in verse 4, it had Herod's power, his military power. He had 16 soldiers um, on rotation to guard one man. And we compare that to the church's power. Uh, They have no weapons. They have no political sway. Uh, They are a minority group. The only power they have is to pray. And so they pray. But it just isn't any old prayer that's happening here. Verse 5 says that they were praying earnestly. This is a desperate prayer that they are praying altogether. Uh, In the original Greek language that the Bible was written in, um, this word for earnest is ektenos, ektenos. Ek, yep, and it's a really, it's a really rare word in the Bible. It only happens three times in the whole New Testament. Um, do you know where else it appears? This ektenos word for prayer. It's Jesus in the garden. Jesus in the garden on the night he was going to hand himself over to be executed. It says he was praying so fervently, so earnestly, that his sweat was like drops of blood, ectenos. And that is the type of prayers that this community was praying for Peter. I wonder, you know, how often do we pray earnestly, strenuously, fervently for others? How often do we pray this ectenos prayer? A desperate prayer for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to break into the broken kingdom of this world. It's a prayer of real intercession, asking god to intervene on behalf of somebody else and to pray i think to pray earnestly and desperately two things must happen you know firstly you must care about the person you are praying for you're not going to pray desperately unless you really care about them and number two you must believe that god cares for them too if you are indifferent to their need or believe that god is indifferent to their need i don't think you're going to pray earnestly fervently So it starts with our heart and what we believe about the heart of God. Who's God putting on your heart to pray for earnestly this day? Hmm. Anyway, prayer in the early church was what they did. They did in all situations and circumstances. And if the church does not respond in fervent, earnest, extended prayer in times of crises, then, you know, what's our faith in anyway? Our faith needs to be in God and we need to be praying earnestly. Let's read on. Let's go to verse 6. So the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel told him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And I think here we also see more of this power dynamic happening. You know, Peter is unarmed. He, he might even be unclothed because the angel tells him to get dressed. So, I don't know. Um, he has no weapons. He's chained to two burly guards and others standing just outside the cell. So much security for a regular dude. Now, maybe Herod, he's just really insecure so that he has so much security for one man. Or... Maybe Herod did his homework, because this isn't Peter's first rodeo. In Acts 5, Peter and some other apostles were imprisoned by the Sadducees, and in the night, an angel had broke them out of jail. It seems that Peter had some form when it came to jailbreaks. And note the timing of when God answers this prayer. Verse 6 says, "...it is the night before his trial." God waits up until the 11th hour, the last minute, to save the day. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd much prefer it if God uh, would respond on our schedules and answered prayers in our timing. But He doesn't do this. God has His own timing, and His timing is perfect. And sometimes that means we have to pray and pray and pray and keep praying for ages until we see something happen. So while we are praying earnestly for someone... We shouldn't just do it once or twice and then give up. We should pray endlessly. Jesus spoke a lot about praying and not giving up. He even taught in parables about this. If you remember the the parable of the unjust ruler and the widow, and the unjust ruler didn't care about others, but he gave the widow justice because she kept asking for it. So therefore, how much more will God give good gifts to us who who he loves so much? Let's read on. Verse 9. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel had left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And I, I love this part because um, it's really cool how God came through. Everything that happened was so surreal. Peter felt he might have been dreaming. Uh, the chains fell off, just like the song we sang. The door opened automatically. And this is before they had automatic doors. Um, there was such he just walked straight past these guards. And that's such an unusual experience. I, I can't really blame blame Peter for you know, not knowing whether it was real or not. I, I also love how the gate opens to let the one on death row through. To me, it really sounds like a picture of a Jesus in the tomb, the, 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 the tomb uh, stone being rolled away for Jesus to walk out. It's just a picture of redemption as, as Peter's walking out of this place. Verse 12, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You must be out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel then. This is actually my favorite part of the story. Um... The church was so desperate for God to rescue Peter Peter. You know, they were praying earnestly. They were pr- praying endlessly. And then at the eleventh hour, God answers their prayer and they didn't believe it. <laughs> the poor Rhoda, you know, what I mean? she recognized Peter. But she went when she went and told the church that God had come through and answered their prayers, they said, Yeah, nah. I don't know if they're Australians, but if they were Australians, they would have said, yeah, nah." Even when she insisted that he was there, they came up with some weird explanation. of, oh it's, oh, it's probably just his angel or something. What? And the reason why I like this part of the story is it shows that this church, who were desperate, who were praying earnestly, who were praying endlessly, their faith maybe wasn't really that large. Uh, you might say that they only had the faith of a mustard seed but it was enough because jesus said if you only need the faith of a mustard seed to move mountains and that has to be a huge encouragement for each of us today particularly of those of us who struggle with doubt because we can see from this passage as long as you pray earnestly and endlessly god can work with that small amount of faith that you have and do incredible things hold on to that Another cool part about this passage is we see the values of the kingdom and a retelling of the resurrection story. Jesus would continually speak about his kingdom being upside down, and we talked about that last week with Mr. Squiggle, uh, where the first will be last and the last will be first. So when Jesus rose from the dead, instead of appearing to some important men, he appeared to a bunch of women, and those women, their testimony was not believed. And here in this story, the first to witness the rescue of Peter, was a woman but more than that you know a servant woman she is the least in the household and she is the first to receive the good news that peter has been saved and she goes and proclaims this good news and nobody believes her and i love it how the bible is true to life with real people people with faults and flaws people who don't get it right all the time and people who are downright embarrassing the church was praying for peter They were doing so many things right. But gee, it took them a long time to accept the testimony of this servant woman. When you consider the way that Jesus prioritized the least of these, their actions for not believing Rhoda, that's embarrassing. But God is a God of grace and forgiveness, and they finally figure it all out. Verse 16, But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and uh, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. The prison break is complete. And Peter wisely moved out from the town. This is a great story. One that encourages us to pray earnestly, endlessly. But not only that, but also expectantly. To expect results. When we pray. And the reason why we can expect results when we pray is because we worship the one who holds the true power, and that is actually the big theme of this chapter in the book of Acts. If you look at it, if you look a bit more widely in your Bible, you'll see how how the chapter begins and how the chapter ends, and it's actually answering the question who is king? Who has the power? Because that chapter starts by saying, Herod was king, and he was exercising his power by arresting people who were part of the church and persecuting them and putting some of them to death. This is a strong statement about Herod being king and having absolute power over people. Now, this Herod, he was not you know, Herod from Jesus' birth, Herod the Great. He was his grandson, um, Herod Agrippa, is what we call him these days. And uh, he, was—he um, like most kings really, had set him up as a, himself up as a sovereign authority and he had the Romans in cahoots with him. And he was showing people how powerful he was. That he had power over life and death by the way he was treating the Christians. But if you read down to the end of this chapter in, uh, in the book of Acts, we see Herod accepting the worship of people. And they are acknowledging him as a God. And because he had done that, as someone with all this power, God reveals who has the real power here. Who is a real sovereign. Who is a real king. And Herod dies. dies because he only had three years on the throne, yet he was setting himself up as king. And in this passage, the reason why these prayers worked is that Herod was not actually king. He was not actually sovereign. He was not actually all-power, all-powerful. Straight up, that can be a huge encouragement to us today, because God is king. God is still powerful. God is still sovereign. And our prayers can work just like they do did in the story of a jailbreak. So this morning, do you know someone who needs to be re- released from some kind of jail? Who needs to be delivered from some kind of imprisonment? Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe some kind of sin. It's my prayer that as a church, we can be a church of intercessors. That we can understand the needs of people around us, and that we can get desperate on behalf of others. So we want to pray for them, and we pray earnest prayers for them. That Greek word ektenos, like Jesus in the garden. We pray endlessly for them. We never give up because we know that God has a different timeline for us, uh, to us, and we pray expectantly for them because we muster all that little faith we have, and uh, yeah, use that. I'll get the band to come up and, and uh, pl- uh, play for us that My Chains Are Gone song. And so this morning, I want us to spend some time in prayer, uh, praying earnest, endless, expectant prayers, um, because our God is King. Um, and I invite you just to spend a few moments thinking of someone that God has put on your heart, and, and, and really, really <laughs> ectenos prayer for them. Um, but if that's you this morning and you actually want some fervent prayer or whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, Donnie and I will be available at the front here. We want to pray for you too. So we're just going to spend a few moments um, with the band just uh, playing very quietly. So if you want to be in prayer for someone you know, someone God has placed on your heart, um, intercessory prayer, or come down the front if you want some of that prayer for yourself. If there's something in your life that... You want uh, release from. So, we'll do that just for a few minutes this morning, and pray that God does a cool thing amongst us as we seek Him. Let's, uh, let's pray.